You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. So glad you're all here this morning. So glad you chose to come to church. Amazing. Would you all stand to your feet? Um, We're going to talk about the love of God this morning. And in order for that to be effective... I need it to be personal, God working in your hearts as individuals. Um, I was here praying last night, here in the auditorium, and as I do every Saturday night, I was just praying, Lord, give me an instructed tongue, Lord, give me the words to say, and I really felt like the Lord stopped me and just said, Drew, just be a worshiper then. If you, if you want me to work through you, just be a worshiper. And I really felt, felt this strong unction in my heart that that was my main role for the morning, It's just to be in love with Jesus, to be a worshiper first and foremost. And as I really get out of the way, as I just more than anything point you to Jesus, God's going to have his way. You don't so much remember the fancy words that I say or my, my combination of just the right words, um, but instead I just point you to Jesus. You walk out of this place. That's what you remember. You remember, oh, he just talked about Jesus. I don't even remember who he spoke. It was Jesus. That's what I had an encounter with Jesus that morning. And that's been my prayer um, ever since last night. So I want us to pray. <laughs> I want us to pray to, to have hearts that are prepared for the Lord to move in our hearts. So, Lord, we position ourselves this morning as we talk about your love, as we talk about this dimension of your love displayed through the Son. I pray that you'd have your way. Jesus, we place you as center of this church, as the head of this church, as the one who's preeminent, the only reason we meet, the only reason we gather. And actually, right now, we stop and we root out every religious spirit in our hearts that would say, we've been here, we've done that, we've heard this, I've heard this before, this is too familiar. God, we root that out right now in the name of Jesus, that, that disgusting spirit of pride that finds its way into our hearts time and time again. Instead, we position ourselves before you to receive fully. We need revelation, we need understanding, we need to know your heart, God, for us, that transforms us and propels us out of this place to be the bride, to be the church that you've called us to be. So I pray you'd have your way in each and every one of us right now in your name, amen. Amen. You can find your seats. So we're going to continue this series based on Psalm 113. We've been in for several weeks exploring the extravagant love of God displayed through the Father, through the Son, and through the Holy Spirit. God has revealed himself in that way. We can't fully know what God is like, but he has chosen in his sovereign wisdom to reveal himself as Father, as Son, as Holy Spirit. And so in prior weeks, we've learned what it means for the, for, for the Father to adopt us as orphans into a family, for us to be, be people that now belong somewhere. Now we have a position in a family. It's really good news, and hopefully that's been ministering to your heart. Well, this morning, we are going to explore this dimension of the love of God displayed through the Son. We want to know our identity, our gospel identity in the Son. I pray this is personal for you. You need a personal encounter with the love of the Son. Who is this Son? The Son is distinct from the Father, but he's equal with the Father, he was there at creation. He's the uncreated one, as the Father is, as the Holy Spirit is. Who is this son who rescues us from slavery? Psalm 113 says that he pulls the poor from the dust, he lifts the needy from the ash heap, and he places them with princes. It's the beautiful, extravagant story, God's rescue story, that he speaks over your life. 
And for the Jewish people, this psalm, Psalm 113, is positioned in a, in a group of psalms that, they, that they've considered uh, the halal, which they've used at the beginning of Passover to usher themselves into this season of reflection, the season of remembrance, to reflect on God's rescue story for them as a nation, rescuing them from slavery in Egypt into God's promises for them as a nation. That's the backdrop, the backdrop of Psalm 113 is rescuing us from slavery, rescuing the nation of Israel from slavery into God's promises. And that becomes a foreshadowing for us that points us towards this new covenant, the new covenant that you and I get to be grafted into. And God, in this story, he rescues us from slavery and he positions us in a kingdom. And this is how Paul says it in Colossians chapter one, verse 13. He says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That is the miraculous transaction that takes place in Jesus Christ that's made available to you and to me. And I want us to explore this transaction of going from the domain of darkness, from the kingdom of darkness, enslaved to the domain of darkness, into the kingdom of his light, into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we now have redemption and forgiveness of sins, amen? This is the love of the Son. That's radical. It makes sense of Christianity. Without this, Christianity makes no sense. It all falls apart. And I, and I would implore you to press into the love of the Son. Otherwise, we're just going through the motions. There's no point in gathering in a silly building. We're nothing more than a social club. The love of the Son is what makes sense to, to, um, for people to actually lay down their lives for things, that, for things that are eternal, for us to actually shift our lifestyle and our, our way of living outside of this building Monday through Saturday. It's a, this encounter with this transaction that takes place from us being transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. I can know as I look at my own life that if I'm bored in my Christianity, I'm living ignorant of the love of the son. There's too much here in terms of mission and risk and extravagance and freedom for me to sit bored in my Christianity. I can know that I'm living ignorant of the Son of God, the love of the Son of God. If I look down on my life and I see myself still bound with the same chains that bound me yesterday, if I'm going back to the same ways of thinking and the same sins, the same patterns of life, I can know that I'm living ignorant of the love of the Son. He has set us free. And I'm praying for an eye-opening experience this morning as you encounter his love. That all of a sudden you begin to see things more vividly in living color. Your life outside the doors of this church would all, all of a sudden come alive. Because you know you're on mission in a kingdom that's not of this world. I remember an experience I had several years ago on a Chi Alpha Fall retreat as we led a group of students down south of Des Moines. I was Chi Alpha pastor, and we were coming out of our worship gathering one night. You know, so we're out in rural Iowa, and uh, we, we were moving from our the worship the building we worshipped in to the cabins where we all slept. And me and my wife were walking with some students, and one student looked up, and and she was just floored by the view. She's like, "What is that?" I've never seen that before. She was a bright student, but she grew up in the D.C. metropolitan area and had never seen the Milky Way before, which is a real shame, you know. 
such a treat of living in a, in a little bit more disper- or, uh, um, less populated area. But she looked up and she was just floored by it, just stunned by the wonder of God's beauty. It was so stunning, and all of a sudden, these clusters of stars, you could actually see them for the first time. I'm praying for that experience for you as you look at the Son of God for the first time and see his brilliance and his beauty, and it launches you into a life of purpose and freedom and, and risk and mission. It doesn't allow you to live this, continue living the same way. It launches you into something where every day means something. This is how Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 2, and I believe this is such a a beautiful parallel verse to Psalm 113. He says in Ephesians chapter 2, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. So we were dead in our trespasses. We were in a pit. We were in the ashes. By grace, you have been saved, verse six, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That is the extravagant rescue story spoken over your life, that he took us from the pit of being dead in our trespasses, enslaved to our, to our, way, our old way of life, to our sins, And now being positioned in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is the goodness of the Son. That is the love of the Son to do that. He is our rescuer. The Son is our rescuer. He's our deliverer. The Son is our Messiah. The Son is our Prince of Peace. The Son is our valiant warrior. The Son is our redeemer. The Son is the forgiver of our sins. The Son is our King. The Son is our King. The Son is our King. That's who he is. And he's rescued you and he's rescued me. And that means something for our life. So I believe in order for us to actually begin to live within this greater revelation of the love of the son, we first have to have a revelation of the place of slavery in which he rescued us from. We have to first understand the oppression that he rescued us from so that we can begin to recognize what this new free life looks like. So you and I, we were enslaved by sin. We were born into slavery to sin. This is what Israel found themselves in in Egypt for more than 430 years. It was kind of slowly overnight they found themselves enslaved by Egypt. If you know the story at the end of Genesis... It was really God's, God's favor upon Joseph that found, that, that brought Israel to Egypt in the first place. But over time, the benevolence, the kindness of Egypt wore away, and eventually they began to enslave Israel. Egypt began to enslave them. And years went by, decades went by, centuries went by, generations went by. For 430 years, the slavery got crueler and crueler and more heartless and inhumane. Until finally, Exodus chapter 2, the cry of Israel begins to, to bellow out. It says this, verse 23, during those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. 
Like their oppression began to get so bad, they began to actually cry out for deliverance from, from their Lord. God can't rescue us if we don't admit that we need rescuing. And so Israel found themselves finally, their eyes were opened. It was this moment where they saw the depravity of their situation, that they were in the pit, that they were being oppressed. It's like slowly they, they had just kind of shifted from favor to into slavery. And they needed to be woken up. They needed to realize, oh, we have chains on our arms. We're being enslaved. We have no will of our own. We have no human value, any human dignity. They are just using us and abusing us. And eventually this, this uh, cry of oppression began to, to cry out from Israel to the Lord. And God is faithful. He's a covenant-keeping God. He hadn't forgotten he was waiting for them to come to their senses and he granted them this grace in this moment for them to see it, for them to recognize the oppression of their slavery. Obviously, we, we read the Old Covenant, the Old Testament as history. It really happened. But it's also a foreshadowing of the New Covenant to come. And Paul uses that same sort of language of slavery and God delivering us from slavery in Romans chapter six. He says, I'm, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. Like he wants to use you know, worldly natural illustrations for us to understand, to, to grapple with and begin to actually grasp the, ra the radical nature of the gospel. And he says, for just as you were once, or just for, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Our old, our old way of life was this slavery to impurity and lawlessness. And it was a cycle of lawlessness. It went around and around and around, constantly giving ourselves to ways that are not of God. She said, that's who you used to be. That's, that's the old domain kingdom of darkness. Now things are different. Now you present yourself as slaves to righteousness, to the Lord, leading to the way you were created to live, which he calls sanctification. So this is where we need to start. We need to look around and we need to recognize slavery, what it looks like, slavery to sin. And we need to call it like it is. We need to understand, recognize, and call it out. We need to not put pet names to it, we need to not make excuses for it. We need to call it like it is. Slavery can look civil. Slavery can look cultured. It can look sophisticated. It can be alluring in, in senses. But we need to call it like it is. Let's not fool ourselves. You know, Roman slavery was different than the Chattel slavery that maybe you are familiar with in the West. In Roman culture, people could give themselves for periods of time to slavery to provide for themselves more stable employment or even to pay off a debt to somebody. It'd be for a time being, but that person didn't own you. It was like a contractual agreement of slavery to a person, not for a wage, but whatever you agreed upon. And so if we're not careful, we can actually fool ourselves into this aura of civility in our sin. We can, we can, we can kind of downplay us really picking up the chains of our old self and putting them on and making excuses for ourselves rather than just recognizing that's the old me. That's me falling back into my old ways of life, my old patterns of life. There were a number of times in the Exodus story where Israel actually longed for their old way of life, their old way of slavery. 
what they liked about Egypt, slavery. And we're talking about slavery. This isn't Roman slavery, this is Egyptian slavery. (laughs) They they were just commodities to the Egyptians, just to to build their projects. But what they have liked about it was they liked the, the ease, the certainty, the predictability of that slavery in Egypt. There was no risk, there was no uh, unpredictable nature of adventure and, and risk of trusting God. In Exodus chapter 14, as they're standing before the Red Sea, it seems like a dead end to them, Egypt at their tail. They said, is this not what we said to you in Egypt, Moses? They're talking to Moses, complaining. Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. It's like this freedom thing, it's not worth it. It's not where we want to go back to, to, we just want to be left here in Egypt to, to, to have a quiet life, to be beaten into submission and to, uh, to serve the whims of the Egyptians. That's what we want. So we can begin to make excuses for our way of life. There is an ease to it, a certainty to it. Later, in, as they're wandering in the wilderness, in Numbers chapter 11, they get tired of the Lord's miraculous provision of manna every day. It's like the diet got a little bland over time. Every day eating the same thing. This manna would appear and then it would, it would go bad after one day. They needed to trust the Lord for their sustenance. But this is how they complained to Moses. They said, oh, that we, would, we had had meat to eat. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt. That cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlics. But now our strength is dried up and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. That was the lie they began to feed themselves. Oh, Egypt was, they kind of looked back with nostalgia, with a fondness. It's like, Egypt, we had all those delicacies. And they actually said, spoke out a lie that cost us nothing. Even though it cost them their very human value, it cost them everything. In reality, it cost them freedom. It cost them God's destiny for them as a nation. But they began to believe the lie that, what's the big deal? We were eating great. We had everything temporal that, that, that suited our desires. Just leave us alone, Moses. This is how Paul then says it in Romans chapter six. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teachings to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Praise God that he set us free. He set us free from that old way of life those old patterns, the old sins, the old, what he called lawless ways. And in Galatians chapter four, he says, formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you've come to know God or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? And here in Galatia, the church in Galatia, Believers were starting to uh, propagate this, this gospel with, that would say you need to follow certain rules. You need to fall under the yoke of religion in order to really serve God. And he put that in the realm of slavery. That's why, out, that's why around here we speak out so boldly against the spirit of religion that just puts another yoke. We're, we're actually we're calling people away from, from their old way of life and just putting a new yoke around their neck. It truly is good news to walk with God. And that's why I do want us to talk about what God does set us free from and what he sets us free for. He sets us free from something, 
not just into a, an aimless abyss, into a subs, uh, a, uh, a, an expanse without substance, but instead he sets us free from something for something, for a purpose. There's something that supplants your old way of life, and I want us to talk about that for the remainder of our time this morning. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. This is what Galatians chapter five says. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to yoke of slavery. That yoke of our old way of life, we don't need to continue to put on those chains and pick up the chains and, and pick up our old ways of life, our old sins and addictions and mindsets. That's all the old you. And he set us free from that, from the power of those things for something. And he gives you something in exchange. There is something of substance there waiting for you. It's like you're stepping through the Red Sea into this beautiful expanse that's ready for you to encounter and explore. So he sets us free from something for something, for a purpose. And here are a few, few of the ways in which he does that. The love of the Son sets us free from our old way of life for a new, a new way of life. He sets us free from an old way of life, an old way of living, old values, old priorities, an old agenda for new values, a new agenda. Some people think of freedom and they equate it with anarchy. Anarchy is different than freedom. We're being ushered into a kingdom that has ways and values and ways that are right and ways that are not right. And so he supplanted this old way of life, this way that's natural to us, this way in which we, he said earlier, lawlessness that leads to more lawlessness, this cycle that um, is unending. He supplants that with a new way of life, new values. And what happens as you step into that expanse, which is called the kingdom of God, you begin to realize that you're coming into alignment with who God created you to be. Too often I see people walk in bound by chains. Too often in my own life I find myself picking up the chains of the old Drew, my old self, living enslaved. Even though Christ purchased my identity as a free co-heir in a kingdom. So Galatians chapter 5, he, there's many of these lists in the New Testament, but in Galatians chapter 5, Paul speaks of the old way of life in which we were enslaved, and he, he gives some examples. He says in verse 19, this is Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, now the works of the flesh, this is your old way of slavery, the domain of darkness, the kingdom of darkness, are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, sorry, I'm making up words. Envy is the word. Drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Those are all the old way of life, and it's not an exhaustive list, but he did, does give quite the gamut. And all sin is sin, and all sin you can put in the category of chains. Things that we pick up that, that bring us back to that place of sheer survival either numbing the pain to get through life or looking out or to defend ourselves, to look out for ourselves. Those are all the old way of life. 
whether it be sexuality, sensuality, drunkenness, or whether it be the internal matters of jealousy and envy and anger. Those are the old you, it's the old me. You know, over the weekend, I had a moment where I lost my patience with my kids. That's the old me. He put, he put anger there in, in the same list. That's the old me. That's me picking up my, my, the chains of the old Drew. That's the old way of life. So he doesn't just set me free from anger or from jealousy or from sensuality or sexuality or uh, sexual morality. He supplants it with something, and he goes on to say this in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, so this is this new expanse of the kingdom of God that you and I are invited into, which is freedom. The fruit of the Spirit is love. So he's supplanting what used to be anger now with something new, which is a love, a steadfast love that's not on myself, mine for my kids, this agape love that's different than anything I can find on this earth. Love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is the new way of life. So the love of the Son sets us free from an old way of life for a new way of life. He set us free. It's the kingdom of God that is before you. There's an invitation here for you. That's why boredom and Christianity are incompatible. It's, it's this endless expanse of adventure and mission and risk that I hope you're sensing the invitation for this morning. Secondly is this. So the love of the sun sets us free from an old way of life for a new way of life. The, the love of the sun sets us free from old masters to live for a new master, for King Jesus. You are set free from the old masters. I think it's good for you to define the old masters of your old way of life. Maybe it was sins, maybe it was addictions, maybe it was people that controlled you. You're controlled by certain opinions. Maybe it was yourself. That is really the God of our age, is self, of our generation. Most people have placed themselves on the throne of their own hearts. Well, guess what? You've been, you've been set free from those old masters. And whether they be people or sins or addictions or whether they be yourself, you've been set free from all of that for something new, for King Jesus to now sit on the throne of your heart. He now sits at the center. He is the new master in which you are now submitted. And I see it week after week after week. So I love what I get to do, pastoring people. I get to sit and hear stories of people being set free from addiction to marijuana, being set free. Why? Because of an encounter with the love of the sun. There's no other explanation for it. The love of the sun invades their life and the desires of their old way of life become no more. Begin to be washed out by this love for this new son, for the son, for the king. I see people bound to pornography, set free because they realize the love of the son speaks a better word over them and over their life. I see people bound by self-doubt or self-hatred supplant themselves from the throne of their heart with King Jesus on the throne of their hearts. They're now no longer tormented by themselves but instead King Jesus rules and reigns in their hearts. I'm not saying for everybody it's instant. I'm not saying for everybody it's the same. But I'm saying it's available for you. There is freedom available in the Son. First, we need to recognize our chains. We need to recognize our slavery, the oppression of our slavery, and call it like it is. 
And then we need to allow King Jesus to usher us into that freedom. As Paul says, you've been crucified with Christ. As you follow King Jesus, you place him on the throne of your heart, you'll realize he's pointing to that moment, that transaction of you being crucified with him, the old you being crucified with him. So that that old person no longer lives. Instead, Christ lives in you. That is where freedom really comes. And that's why this love of the son is so personal. And I encourage you to embrace that as personal. That's why you'll notice I don't have any five, uh, five steps to your, to your freedom. It's not as much practical steps that you can walk away with as much as an invitation into a personal encounter that you need for your life. His love is personal. And your crucified king wants to demonstrate freedom for you, lead you towards freedom through this identity that he's purchased for you as a free co-heir in a kingdom. Thirdly is this. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. Thirdly is this. The love of the Son sets us free from our temporal uncertainties for an unshakable kingdom. So he sets us free from our old way of life for a new way of life, from our old masters to a, to a, for a perfect king, from our temporal uncertainties for an unshakable kingdom. Everything you see around you that is temporal, that will someday fade, God is inviting you into something that will never fade, that is eternal, that's unshakable. And that's such good news for us. In this life that we know is but a vapor, it's going quickly. Our, our lives are flying by. So much around us is shaking. And you can know in Christ, in the love of the Son, that he has given you access to an unshakable kingdom, an eternal kingdom. It's a kingdom like no other. A number of years ago, I got, had the opportunity to travel to Guatemala, Central America, and I've been to this location more than once, but I got to go to the eastern side of the country, a more um, rural, it's a dense rainforest in that part of Guatemala. And there is located some of the, the most expansive areas of Mayan ruins to ever be found. In fact, they have the tallest ever discovered Mayan temple there in that region. I've been there a couple times and on one occasion, my host brought us all the way to the top of that, um, that Mayan ruin, that Mayan temple, and looking out over the rainforest. It's actually the location of one of the Star Wars films. Don't ask me which one, because I don't know. But it's located, you can kind of picture the, the expanse of rainforest there. We sat there on top of the, the temple and he pointed out other protrusions of symmetric hills that protruded out of the rainforest. He said, Drew, you see those other hills? Those are actually, the archeologists believe those to be other temples or, or pyramids that have yet to be uncovered. They just don't have the resources to uncover them. But here, here we have an expansive civilization that we can now see with our eyes, you know, 3,000 years uh, built ago, built 3,000 years ago. And now we sit on top of this pyramid and we look out and their, their civilization is covered with dirt. It's gone. It's nothing but a distant memory. And the Mayans were, I mean, they were a sophisticated civilization of trade routes and political systems and hierarchies that were advanced for their, their time. 
in mathematics and, and um, astronomy, all those things from, from the Mayans were advanced for their time. But yet now it's covered with dirt. That in, a, that in a picture is the temporal nature of this world in which you and I live. And King Jesus came and he actually sets us free from the temporal age, the temporal uncertainties in which you and I live every single day for something, for an unshakable eternal kingdom in, in which you and I now get to live. That's what sets us free, sets us loose to live on mission, willing to take risks, willing to go on this grand adventure, to not miss a day, to not, to not lose a day for his purposes and for his glory. If you'd all stand to your feet across this place, I want us to respond to the love of the Son this morning. We're gonna come forward, we're gonna respond to the Lord, but before you move, just close your eyes and bow your heads this morning. Like I said, this has to be a personal, a personal thing between you and the Lord to respond to his love. You know what he, set, he sets you free from. You know your old way of life. You know the chains that used to bind you. And you also know the chains you currently continue to pick up. You know the, the pet sins or the addictions or the, the ways of life or thought patterns that you still embrace, you still give excuse for, you still cling to. The kindness of the Son is being shown to you this morning to say, come, you're free from those things. That's not who you are anymore. You are a free co-heir in this kingdom. Come, embrace these, this new way of life. Come, embrace what it means for me to be king and master of your life. Come and trust that this kingdom that I'm inviting you into is eternal and unshakable. So right now, just respond to the Lord. He may be pointing out some areas of your life, revealing to your heart that that's not who you are anymore. He wants to set you free this morning. This week, he wants to show you what freedom looks like, what it tastes like. It's real. It's so real that he was willing to spill his blood for it. He was willing to give himself for it. He wasn't playing around. He didn't come to start some home and garden religion. He came to set you free. If you're here this morning, you need to start a relationship with Jesus. You'd say, Drew, I'm not right with God or I'm not born again, but I need to make things right. I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand because I'm gonna embarrass you because I wanna know who I'm praying for. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Is there anybody here this morning? You don't want to leave this place without first making, making sure things are right with God. Is there anybody? I don't see any hands. That's fine. Secondly, I want us to respond to the Lord. And this is the part that is personal. I'm going to ask everyone to come forward if, if you're comfortable coming forward to this, this front area and allowing the Lord to deal with your own hearts as to the, the chains maybe you've picked up in the past from your past. 
that he wants to set you free from. So Lord, I'm asking just for an encounter with your freedom this morning in hearts and minds. Lord, I'm asking that individuals would be willing to admit the oppression of their slavery, that they'd stop messing around with trying to explain away sin issues or addictions or thought patterns. But instead, God, we'd be ruthless. We'd be ruthless because of an encounter with the love of God. The only thing that makes sense is that we would extravagantly surrender these things at your feet. And in that place, encounter your grace that empowers us to live differently, empowers us to live free. Lord, I'm believing that you're ushering us as a church into a season of greater freedom. People that always thought it was just a theory or something maybe nice to talk about or nice for somebody else, people will realize personally for themselves that they can know what freedom is in their life. So Lord, I'm, I'm believing this morning that people are gonna leave chains here in this auditorium, never to pick them up again. I'm believing that. They're leaving them here. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.